Well, hello, and welcome to the Speak Up podcast. Speak Up with Laura Camacho, number three communication skills podcast in the world. Very exciting. I'm happy to have you here. We've got another very interesting guest. We're going to talk about conflict, going from conflict to courage. A lot of times that's that's what we we hide behind kindness, I think. That's my personal feeling. I haven't talked to our guest about that. Her name is Marlene Chisholm. This is episode 162, and she's going to She's an expert in workplace conflict, like resolving it and getting through it. And we're going to talk about all those things. Today's episode is brought to you by the great book, The Practical Guide to Effective Communication, available in paperback, an ebook. It's got everything you need. It is not a book, it is not a summer read. It is a read to share with your team to read one chapter at a time, to do some of the exercises. It's got a nice assessment. You can you know, make copies of it with your team and, and figure out everybody's communication style. There's four different basic styles. There's exercises to talk, to get you through a difficult conversation, even conversation starters that you can use as icebreakers. There's all kinds of things in that book. It's called The Practical Guide to Effective Communication. It's at Amazon. Get your copy today. And now we are going to talk to our guest, Marlene. All right. So we we have a conflict expert, right? And, And if you could see her, you can't see her, but I can. She's very attractive. She does not look like a conflictive person. And before I before I give her the microphone, I just want to say that to me, there most people hate conflict, but there are a few people that they don't care. Like it's not that they love it, but they just don't care. They just say whatever. They just say what they think needs to be said. And there's often a kind of a conflict between those two personalities in the workplace. And that sometimes that latter category gets classified as toxic, which they may or may not be. But we're going to get all, all things about conflict. How to, how did like transcend it or make it not necessary. I'm all about avoiding it, but that does that's not all, that's not always the best answer. So Marlene, tell us, uh, by the way, she's from Missouri. So I, I think we might have some people from St. Louis listening. Tell us about how did you become a conflict in the workplace expert? Laura, I love the question. And you know, the saying, you teach what you need to learn. I really, if I was to encapsulate it, I would say that's what happened is that I was searching internally and it wasn't conflict at first, except for what I would call an inner conflict. 21 years, I was a blue collar factory worker and I wanted something more and I did not have a college degree, had no business knowledge. And I started doing that search and I call that search the three life tragedies. The first tragedy is when you know you want something more, but you don't know what it is. The second tragedy is when you know what it is, but you don't believe it's possible. And the third tragedy is you know what it is, you believe it's possible, but you have to be willing to take that leap, that risk, that sacrifice. So I was in that for several years. And I find that people generally go through that, those stages at a couple of different points in life, maybe mid thirties, early forties, or any Mm -hmm. kind of decade, year fifties, it can happen at any time. And it's really disconcerting, especially if you've been doing something for a long time and you think there must be something more and you feel like a failure. So I was, you know, before I quit, I I was like 39 or 40 years old. 
Mm-hmm. When I worked at Kraft Foods, doing everything from packing cheese to stacking skids to driving forklifts to tearing down equipment for sanitation. And the best part of your day is when you look up at the clock and it's time to rotate. So that was my world. And I started mm-hmm. saying, well, I don't know what I want. I was in the first tragedy, but I said, I'm going to at least explore. That's when you're in discovery mode. So I went back to college and I started loving communication and marketing and and all the things that were fun for me. At first, I started out in business and it wasn't relevant to me then. But I did find my way with communication, with psychology and all the things about human nature and identity. I started getting interested in that. Then I went to an experiential workshop where that's a whole other podcast, but it Mm -hmm. awakened me and I just wanted to step into a new truth. So I decided I want to be a professional speaker. So that's how it started out. And I believed that it was possible, but then I had to be willing to somehow step out without any knowledge. And I did. And it was pretty excruciating the first five or six years because I didn't have a foundation. So I understand Mm -hmm. what it's like to not have a foundation. And retrospectively, I can look at others, not in comparison, but to say it's different when you're starting with a rowboat one or a nomad than when you're on <laughs> you know when you're on a yacht that you know right. not to compare but it's the reality of like don't compare yourself to someone else's journey because your journey is uniquely your own Nonetheless, I got my first book. I went back to school, got my master's in between there because I kind of got stuck without like knowing what to do because sometimes business wouldn't come. So I started out in motivational speaking in the years when you could get paid for motivational speaking. You have to be Mm -hmm. at the top of your class, climb Mount Everest with one arm in order to get that now. Right. Not going to happen. Right. Like, so that's where I started, went back to school, got my master's degree. And one of my professors said, if you'll finish a master's, you'll have a capstone project. And that can lay the foundation to where you you can be like Stephen Covey and you'll have a whole body of work. And I did not know what that meant, but Mm -hmm. my capstone was entitled Drama in the Workplace Hampers Productivity, the Effect of Relationships on the Bottom Line. When I started doing that research... I saw that relationships and conflict and drama, I'd heard about the drama triangle, Cartman drama triangle was a big Mm -hmm, part of my work mm -hmm. in the beginning, how it affects Mm -hmm. everything from your health to your stability, to your job, to your performance, like your internal conflicts affects your health. It affects everything. So there were so many threads with that, that I kind of searched for a lot of different avenues to that and sort of started doing training and that kind of thing. That was a a leap from Mm -hmm. the professional speaking. Then I found that I was a really good teacher and I had a passion for seeing the light come on in other people because I was transforming. And so I wanted Mm -hmm. to get that gift or be on the journey with other people. Then I got my first book, Stop Workplace Drama from Wiley. That was an Mm -hmm. act of God, the universe, supreme being, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it, because I Mm -hmm. didn't have a proposal. And I got that first one. And that's what started me on this journey of other books. And then finally, when COVID happened, I said, I feel like there's going to be an opportunity. It was just an intuition based on my experience and my journey. Mm -hmm. So I went ahead and wrote a book proposal without even reaching Mm -hmm. out to a publisher. Someone reached out to me and asked if I had something. And so that didn't work out though. And I Mm -hmm. knew from experience, don't get attached. Just Mm -hmm. there's something else. Feeling is too strong. She introduced me to the publisher I have now, Barrett Kohler, and it came and the the title is From Conflict to Courage, How to Stop Avoiding and Start Leading. Oh my goodness, what a story. Well, I know that we have several people that work in manufacturing listening to this. So they 
may or may not be blue collar workers, but they, you know, there's, there's a difference. I've noticed I have a lot of clients in tech and a few in manufacturing. And when you work in, with real things like material objects, especially food and beverages that actually can get you into a lot of trouble if there's any kind of mistake. It, it's a different thing whether dealing with just code. I'm not mitigating the power of the internet and all those digital social media companies, but it's just a different ball game, don't you think? When you when you are working with a company that produces things, especially when people put those things in their body. Yes, because on that physical level, people that work with their hands and do what we would refer to as blue collar work, they learn differently and Mm -hmm. they see things differently. And maybe they're not as conceptual, but they're very practical, very hands-on. I mean, I learned so much from that experience there, you know, even about productivity and about just like learning it intuitively about maximizing efficiency. It's not like they drilled that into our heads into an educational seminar, but like right. I, I learned to wash my hands all the time because I'm handling food because you get tested all the time. So there's, right. just, there's there's benefits to both. And now I work mostly primarily with white collar jobs. I'm sure. Yeah. I enjoy it all. I mean, I also collaborate with uh, Ozarks Technical Community College and I'll do programs for the blue collar frontline leaders. And I find that they're hungry to learn because they don't get what they like, what others get in a college or in a internship. Mm-hmm type of, you know, a white collar job. So I really, I think because of my background, I have an appreciation for the whole spectrum and it's really fun and interesting to me. Yeah. I think it gives you a, a, like this unique perspective on the workplace and, you know, conflict and drama and, oh, we just all just like that. And a lot of people, myself included, like we will do triple backflips through hoops of fire, if that will help us avoid a conflict, because we just don't, it's just messy. And, and I've even listened to this extreme. I'm kind of traumatized about this, but in the past few months, first time I ever heard of this, I've heard of managers doing the work of their employee, that their employees, that their teammates or their, their reports don't do because either they tried to confront the person and it didn't work or they're afraid to. They're afraid that that's not being nice. So I'm not alone in wanting to avoid conflict. But what are, tell us, like, what are the consequences of not holding people accountable or not what I just generalize it as saying what needs to be said? Well, wow, there's a lot in there. I mean, there's so many places I could start. I want to start with this that what we all typically have ways of handling or avoiding conflict. That's why I wrote the book on avoiding. It just Mm -hmm. shows up in different ways. And so what I found, this is the framework of my book. Conflict is not the problem. Mismanagement is. Okay. Self is not the problem. It's the way we manage it. And most, and avoidance is mismanagement. So once you start understanding that, and like what I came up with to make it easy to, to recognize is three primary forms of avoidance. And one is avoidance. It's like what you said, those of us that say, man, I just, I'll do anything. I'll do their work. I'll be nice. I'll walk on eggshells because I want peace so much that I'll sacrifice my inner being. I'll sacrifice my own peace. So that yes. have, right. And so, but that's still conflict because internally, 
literally it's, it's churning and you're feeling stressed and you're getting sick. So it affects you. That's the internal conflict I talk about in the book. Mm-hmm. So there's avoiding. And those of us that avoid, we know we avoid. That is not mm-hmm. news. We go, yeah, right. I avoid. like, hey, what else is there? Then there's appeasing. That is a mm-hmm. form of avoidance. It's like, yeah, great idea when I don't think it is because I like you to be happy or I'll get back with you or I love that idea. So glad you're engaging. It's an unconscious way of avoiding where you don't think you're avoiding. You're just known as super friendly and kind and nice and such a servant leader. So you get that reputation. It becomes your identity. The third way, and you brought this up at the beginning, and I'm so glad there's this opening to talk about it, was aggression. Like, mm-hmm. look, I'm not fluff. My way or the highway. I yeah. get people that aren't fluff. That's still avoidance. And I'll tell you why. It's an avoidance oh. personal growth. I don't want to feel anything. So I'm just going to be hard nosed. I'm going to get that reputation. I'm going to use a sense of bullying in a way to just shut it down, call it down, call it off. And I'm going to use, I'm just being authentic as the excuse mm-hmm. right. for not growing. So right. I'm going to say you're too sensitive versus I need to work on my skills. So it's still avoidance. It's just, it's the hardest one to break. And I feel that I fall into that aggression Heart. And I think I used to be an avoider and the pendulum sometimes will swing as you grow. And as you mm-hmm. find your voice and find your truth and you want to align, I think the pendulum can swing until you need to find that balance where you keep yourself in check. Because used to, I was afraid of really confrontational people. I was afraid of bosses that were harsh. And I got that lesson while I was at Kraft Foods because I was already working on my content there. Mm-hmm. And I confronted that and it was a, an awakening, but I fast forward and I turned that way. And I've had CEOs say she's brutal. Like they've said, I'm brutal. What that tells you is though, is that I didn't meet them where they were because I right. don't myself as brutal at all. I'm approaching it as if they want to hear news that will help them or coaching that will help them. And sometimes I've done that before I've been actually paid as the consultant, hoping that we were building that trust from the beginning. But the reality is until someone pays you, they don't think you have the right to do that. So I've had to learn that as in shaping myself to not come off as too excited, too aggressive, too blunt, too in your face, because if they're not ready for that, they won't be able to hear it anyway. So it's learning learning the inner workings of conflict and your own methods and your ways of communicating so that what you intend to be heard is heard. Wow. Okay, guys. Those of you listening, Marlene is like blowing our mind here. So those of you, and I talk to you every single day that think you're too blunt, as I have said, that is not the problem. There's other problems because we do value, when when someone is known for being blunt, the, the value that they do offer is that, you know, they're not BSing you. They're not sugarcoating. They're telling you, you know, they are being authentic, but if you're being abrasive or if you're not, I would say even, don't even think about abrasive. Think about, is the person ready to receive or able to receive your message, right? Yes. And there's a piece I talk about in my book that I'm really working on right now. Again, it's my own medicine. So I feel like <laughs> a good spirit to anybody that struggles with conflict or they want to get better at it either way. Mm-hmm. But I talk about emotional integrity. There's a saying by an author called named Gary Zukoff, and he says, if you don't know your intention before an interaction, you'll know it afterwards. So sometimes we're unaware of our intentions. So if we've got some resentment built up, we can say, I'm just being honest, but the truth is we wanted to sting you back. And we weren't willing to admit that dark side of ourselves. We still feel justified in 
you know, hitting below the belt or like blindsiding someone or, or whatever it is that really comes off as harsh. When people perceive that you really care and that anything you're saying is to their growth, they will feel it. They will also feel when you have hidden resentment. So I call it emotional integrity. And there's three parts to that. The first part is to take ownership of your experience. In other words, if I'm angry, I'm angry. It's okay to be angry. I'm not a bad person because I'm angry. It's energy wanting to go somewhere. I can even say to you in a conversation right now, I'm so angry and I'm not able to talk about it, but we don't have to be here next week. I can do that so that you know where I'm coming from, but in my heart, I want it to be resolved. The second one is you have to face your dark side. So if I feel resentful, if I feel like paying you back, I just need to own that to myself. Like, that's what I feel like right now. And that's not the highest of how I want to show up. In other words, I could use that as an excuse for being authentic, but I'm being authentic to the childish part of me that needs to grow and heal. So I'm going to be authentic to the highest version of myself. And I'm going to face my dark side that right now I'm not ready. And then whenever I talk to someone, I'm going to represent myself. I'm not going to make it about what everybody else said about others feel that way too. I call that playing power of attorney. That causes more problems in organizations than anything I've seen. So-and-so said something about so-and-so else or so-and-so doesn't enjoy the schedule that you've created. You should hear what everyone else is thinking about your leadership, or I know you don't want to work with them, so I'll fix it. Like all of that is that walking on eggshells, that power of attorney, that lack of emotional integrity that we have to have to get through and manage the conflict effectively. Wow. So the power of attorney is when you are speaking on behalf of other people when it's that, I mean, that's you should just go to the source, right? You're you're inserting yourself and just creating drama. Yeah, that's and if you can't, most people, what I've discovered in some of my work here in the last couple of years, that when I'm interviewing and sometimes doing more consulting work, most employees will tell the boss it's their job to go fix their problem. I am so appalled by the the lack of empowerment and lack of personal responsibility that employees sometimes have. And they have the guts to tell their boss, that's your problem. She and I aren't getting along together. You need to go talk to her and fix her, not my problem. You're the boss. So one thing I work with higher level leaders on is coaching the employee to go handle the situation. And then if they can't have them both in, because to just take one employee's word for it, it's a multifaceted situation. They're not getting all the facts. So the first question is, let's talk about how you can address this with them. Oh, I already know what they're going to say. Yes, they may. Are you willing to say it anyway to take responsibility for your experience to try to get the change? You just don't understand. They're very hard to work with and you just need to intervene. What they're wanting the boss to do is call that person in and say, others are complaining about you. And although I've not seen it, you need to straighten up because others are right and you're wrong. That is the biggest a recipe for success for disaster that I've seen. Yes, I have heard about that. That yes, somebody will be identified on the team as a problem, but the boss doesn't see it as a problem because the person's turning in their work. So what's behind that? I mean, can you think of a specific example to share? I can. Uh, this is a general example, but I do see it a lot. A lot of times that person that's hard to work with, they are not a team player. They're an individual performer. And I call it beating the others in the boat with their oars. Like, let me show how great I, <laughs> show how great I row and I beat everybody else with the oars. And I'm going to like not work collaboratively. I'm not going to give an answer. I'm, it's going to be your job, not mine, because I'm so competent. And because of my competency, the behavior part is overlooked. 
overlooked. And the issue here is that we don't consider behavior a part of performance. That is the issue. Well, I would say that they're probably an introvert. Like they just don't feel comfortable with all the unnecessary conversation. And if they're not being graded on it, then I mean, I think at one time I was that person. I just I just wanted to do the work and go home and not what I consider forced fun or I mean, I know I'm now old and I know that that team building is super important, but it's interesting the different perspectives, right? Well, I think sometimes too, I love that you brought that up because I think sometimes we try to force teamwork and it's really, it's not a team anyway. It's basically, you don't need to, you just need to communicate. Like there's a difference. One of my mentors has said, there's a difference between a team and a committee. And sometimes Mm -hmm. work really, if that's what it is and you, you know, you're doing detailed writing, math, accounting, does it, right. require, does it require that? Or are we just trying to push something because it's the latest management book? So I don't think there's a thing wrong with being an introvert and seeking that kind of work. I'm an introvert myself. Mm-hmm. When I get out and speak and teach, I have to, I have to give and, and I am exhausted from it. I love it, but I couldn't do it every single day and I can't travel and do it right from the travel and then get right back on the plane because I'm exhausted. So I definitely respect being an introvert. And I think sometimes we try to force people into ways of being that just doesn't really work for any anybody and right is it okay that two or three people have a job that doesn't require them maybe there's a requirement once a quarter to do something but to try to force all this team building I think I often tell people that call me and they call me with they think they have the solution let's do a two-day workshop and three sessions of coaching you know and I often say you know what just get a clown and a pizza party because truly (laughs) what you're asking me to do is entertainment you haven't like helped me like let me help you assess the situation the outcome and the obstacles and until we have that conversation you're coming to me as a smart leader but you think you figured it out and you're going to tell me how to do my work so I've already that's again getting really blunt I've had to do that because Mm -hmm. it's not worth it to me at this point I want to work with people that want to me to be their partner in like assessing the situation and giving honest advice and coaching as to how to get to the end result versus we've mm-hmm. already decided we need you to come in for two days. And if you want to do some online coaching, that's okay. And if you could plug it into November 15th, like I just, that's such red flag to me that, that they are not clear about their outcomes or the problem. Wow. So that's very so do not call Marlene for entertainment or well me I used to though (laughs) yeah dance in my program because I was an entertaining speaker Uh that's what I wanted to be and I did it you know so I just I've grown that's wild yeah that I guess I don't know if I could do that or not I'm very mom professor well also I've learned to be engaging in in a different way I don't think anybody would ever call me I don't know. We, we must be somewhat entertaining because it's the number three podcast for Absolutely. communication so, so, <laughs> so something's working. I don't know if it's the entertainment or the learning, but anyway, this is so cool. So let me ask you, let's say you have a coaching client who tells you, I have a toxic boss. My boss is just super hard to work with. So how do you know if that's an inner conflict or an outer conflict or is it is it him or her? You know, is it the boss or is it me? Like what what would be your process for oh, discerning here? Yeah, I would first want to say, well, give me like what's the evidence? In other words, I'm not saying you're wrong. Just share right. what that looks like. 
Okay. And, you know, so what's the situation, right? Give me some concrete examples of why they're hard to work with, what's happened, how you're evaluating this person. My second question would be like, so what is it that you want? If it was your perfect world, what would it look like between you and your boss? What is it that you want? And some of those questions I ask in the middle is what's not happening that needs to happen or what's not happening that uh, what's not happening that should happen or what's happening that should not happen. Because until mm-hmm. you get clear about, well, they've got a bad attitude. So give me more. Well, they slam the phone down. They shut the door. They tell me I don't have time. I now have something to work with. Right. And so, and I had that boss. So I, I've been mm-hmm. there. I've been there. And most people think, well, I can't talk to my boss because of the power structure, which there's some truth in that, but you have mm-hmm. to, you have to hit a different vibe is what I'm going to say mm-hmm. here. You're in a low vibe of we can't get along and there's there's evidence to back that up. So you have to start fresh as to what do you want to have happen and how are you going to strategize that conversation and ask for what you want? Because until you can clearly define what you want, you're in essence asking me to change that boss and they are there for your growth. That boss is there for you to figure out who you are and how to navigate this. That's the reality. And so once you see it differently and you get rid of your inner conflict, which is, I can't talk to them. I need to, but I can't. If I do this, then that's going to happen. You've got to kind of resolve the issue inside to say, I'm strong enough to handle moving forward. And in the end, I have choices about where to work. Like you right. have to get to this neutral place to where it's not a need you have from the other person. It's a desire you have for your own growth. Mm -hmm. And you know that you have other choices and you're not going to go in there and use that as a push pull or a thread or a, you know, you're not going to manipulate. I had that with my boss and I actually, I remember it's, it's kind of a long story, so I don't want to get too detailed and I haven't told it in a while, but I remember that I saw him as very unapproachable. He always said, Mm -hmm. that's just the way it is. There's nothing I can do. If you don't like it, find yourself another place to work. And I decided I was going to make this effort because I thought one day I'm going to be a professional speaker and I want to I want to live a certain message from where I am now with no power so that I know that it wasn't after the degree, after the business success, that I know that these are principles that work. So I was coming from a real curious place of how can I bend reality based on wow now. And mm-hmm. so there was an issue where I had put in for a vacation and I decided I would be nice and let him know I wouldn't be there on Friday because I had weekend classes. And I was stuck in that day about, well, there's all this cleaning and laundry and stuff. Like I was in the female mode of thinking like that. I didn't think outside the box at all at that time about this stuff, but I wanted to get all my work done. And so I wanted that day off. And I thought, you know what, before just not showing up because our system was you put in for it, it was a done deal unless you heard otherwise. I got my stuff Mm -hmm. in on time. I went in and said, okay, I guess I won't see you tomorrow. And he goes, what? I've got you down for tomorrow. And my heart just sank. And this is when I learned about not rescuing because I was so uncomfortable with his discomfort. I said, well, I guess that's okay. But see, that was manipulation because I wanted him to say, no, it's my mistake. Let me fix it. But he didn't. He said, okay, good. Glad you're coming in. And I I walked out and I was angry and I thought it was about something else, but it was actually that that energy hadn't hit me yet. And Mm -hmm. I was in this group and they said, well, and I was telling the story and I said, this is just how he is. And they said, well, you've actually got choices. So part of my work is what do you want? What are your choices? And are you willing? So we were mm-hmm. in the choice conversation, like, what are your choices? And I said, well, there's not any choices. And they said, well, there's lots of choices. What could they be? I said, well, I could just call in, have my day off anyway, I'll serve him right. That's one choice. Another choice is to just go in. I've learned from it. But usually if you just do it, you haven't learned because you haven't broken the pattern. The other choice is to go in and have a difficult conversation. 
And I said, oh, mm-hmm. I'm scared to death. I already know what he'll say. Yes, but it's not about what he's going to say. It's about who you are. And that was like, okay. So it's not about what someone else does. It's about my courage. So I went in and I used a method and it became something I teach now. And it just came mm-hmm. to me. I went in and I said, I'm here a little early and I need to talk to you. I need it to be right now before anyone else clocks in. I'm, t- you know, 15 minutes early. And I said, I wasn't quite honest with you yesterday. I said it was okay that I had to come in, even though I did my part. And then he kind of backed up and looked at me and I said, I'm really nervous that you're going to like shut me down. So I just need you to hear me. And he just kind of stepped, he just, you know, backed off and looked at me. And then I said, so what I'm going to ask is I know that I can't have vacation because I'm already here, but would you try to get someone to cover me, even though they might have to pay time and a half? I asked for what I wanted. And he said, Mm -hmm. well, you know, I'll always try, always try. It's just that he was making excuses. I said, well, then tell me what I did wrong. He goes, no, you're right. You did do it right. And I said, okay. He said, I'll try. And I walked away feeling like I was on cloud nine and I knew he was not going to work with me. I knew that it was my courage. That was the excitement. And I went back Mm -hmm. to the line and he came up to me in about 30 minutes. And he said, I've got someone to come in at 10. And if that's not soon enough, I'll take over myself so you can have off. And I went, that's when I went, okay, what's that? What what happened? I went, I went, oh, that's a labor principles. Listen, ask for what you want, set boundaries, own your stuff and represent yourself. And that's exactly what I did, not quite in that order, but part of it is to own the part you played, which is right. like I said, that was okay. It really wasn't. There's circle back around to say, you know what? I was caught off guard. I agreed to something that I didn't really agree with. I didn't want to call in and hold you hostage to that. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So would you be willing to work with me? And I figured he might say, look, it's just the way it is. You're going to need to clock in. But I knew that my game was not about getting what I wanted. It was about my courage. So that's how I would coach someone. It's uh, not right. Yes, it's so I just have chill months. And that's and I think all of us who have stood up to a bully or toxic boss have had an experience like that because usually when you do step up in the way you did by owning your part, because even if it's just a a, a minority share of the problem, it's still you could have done it differently. You could have said the day before, no, 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 I'm sorry, you didn't understand. I said, it is not okay, but you didn't. And, you know, you had done the right thing, but you uh, acquiesced under pressure. So you, so you owned up to that. And that was not being completely honest with him. It wasn't even being fair because what we generally do is we confirm our bias that he's a jerk. And then you go tell everybody else they agree with you or you say, I'm going to go report him to HR. And now you've created so much drama when truthfully just being responsible and just doing your own inner growth. You may or may not get that time off, but you certainly learned a lesson that the next time you'll say something two days in advance. Or maybe you will call in and justify it and then go back in and say, look, I'm apologizing, but I had to do it. You know, maybe there's other choices. We judge our choices so often, but I make my choices based on who I am, not on what everybody else does. So that's how I try to live my life is is make your choices based on your authentic, highest version of yourself, not what everybody else tells you to do, not on what's going to pay them back. Come from a very pure intention for your own growth, and then conflict is going to work for you to grow you. It's going to do what I call expand your conflict capacity. Oh, I love that. Expand your conflict capacity. Good. Well, I also think sometimes when you take the time to get clear on what's what and what you really want and the players that sometimes just taking the time to get clear on everything and expressing that clarity instead of hiding things in the fog, as Jordan Peterson says, uh, sometimes we 
we aren't completely honest or open or forthright. And then we, you know, it was kind of like we can set ourselves up a little bit. So I want to know, Marlene, I, how can I be more courageous? Tell me. Well, I look at building conflict capacity as three parts. And so mm-hmm. the first part is your inner. Well, let me say this one part first. The one part is going to be your outer game. A lot of us take skills training on LinkedIn, or we go to a workshop that our company provides, or we read a book about it. That's that's the outer game. That's learning mm-hmm. the techniques, the way to say it. I teach that stuff too. That alone, though, is going to leave you empty because if you're still afraid or you're coming from resentment and you don't realize it, the skills won't work. People will feel your energy. So there's an inner game. The inner game is about your own courage, your willingness to try things and mess up, your self-awareness, the owning the part that you played, your emotional integrity. That inner game is what's missing for most of us, that even if you've gotten all kinds of degrees on it, you can still be so, have so many blind blind sides and so many, you know, blind spots. Mm -hmm. So the inner game, the outer game, those two circles kind of overlap. And the third circle is the culture. And that is how the company supports you addressing things because truthfully if you have the inner game and the outer game but the culture is stepford wives and everybody's supposed to be nice and we never have conflict you're not going to get very far and you're going to be very frustrated the cult you know there's a saying what um culture eats strategy for lunch right right you know the culture is going to be what it is the way we do things the tacit assumptions and beliefs the way we operate on the inside to survive on the outside that environment that we're in and why we do things the way we do for example in some cultures Rude behavior, yelling and screaming is part of the culture. No one feels too bad about it. It's what they do. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but it won't work for you if that bothers you. So, right? I don't want to no work. Way. I don't want that environment. But for some people, they thrive on it for where they are in their level of consciousness and growth and whatnot. And that's fine. That's- bit, right. A salt fish and salt water. Right. So, right. Just know whether that's the water you want to swim in, so to speak, because if that is so miserable for you or it triggers you, you either have a choice to try to grow and figure it out and like, let that be your expansion. Or you can be so crystal clear that you're just, this isn't for you. And I get really clear about things like that anymore. And clarity is one of my main topics in all of my book. And my theory is that in all drama, there's always a lack of clarity and that the one with uh. clarity, the one with clarity navigates the ship. And the, uh, everyone else shovels coal. And my other statement is clarity can change any situation. So when I'm coaching someone or doing consulting, I don't try to figure it out. I don't even believe I have to be at their level of brilliance or expertise. I work with very smart people, most of them a lot brighter than me. What I know, though, my gift is, is like I can tap into clarity. So I don't need to understand everything about their world. I like to understand their structures and their culture, and I like to have an understanding of it. But when someone is in a place of internal conflict or drama, my goal is not to fix it for them. My goal is to help them get clarity because when they have clarity, it will feel like peace. When they don't have clarity, it will feel like revenge. It will feel like justification. It will feel like excuses. It'll feel like what's the easy road. But when you have clarity, it's a different feeling. It is a peaceful and exciting feeling at the same time. I love that. The one with clarity drives the boat. Is navigates, that the, the ship. navigates the navigates ship. Navigates the ship. Yes, very cool. Clarity is extremely powerful. And that's why people are well served to communicate more clearly because it helps everybody have uh, more clarity. So that is, so I, I mean, we're getting to the end. 
of our time together. I, there's two topics I just want to hear your thoughts on as a service to our audience. I know they're all grabbing so much like this, this conversation to me feels kind of like a electrifying or kind of like a cold shower, but in a good way, a cold shower <laughs> on a really hot day. Like there's no, this is a BS free zone. As you can see, Marlene is like, uh, has that, you know, down to earth. And they say in Spanish, she goes to the bone. Like she does no, <laughs> no fluff, just like, bam, you get clarity. What's your part? What's really happening? What are the hidden agendas? What's what? So to the people listening, I'm sure they're thinking like, okay, Marlene, I need more clarity. How, wh what's a process? Give me just a little DIY tip on number one, getting more clarity when I feel unsure about the next move. Let's say I've, you know, stepped into a, I've gotten a promotion and I have an inherited team and maybe they're not all that excited, you know, with my ideas, just to give one possible example. And then culture, I want to know, can you, if you feel like the larger culture is too squish, because I see that as a trend. We were going from too harsh to too squish. And I, cause I'm just hearing more and more squishiness and it's not helpful. Can, you know, can you protect your team and your work from the greater culture? You know, the culture and clarity, give us, Lay okay. us some wisdom bombs on us. Okay, with clarity, this I, I talk about this in From Conflict to Courage, a concept called leadership clarity. So when I talk about clarity in my other books, I'm talking more about what do you want, what's happening, like knowing your feelings won't change the facts, but knowing the facts can change your feelings. And when you change your feelings, you change your experience. So how facts and feelings work together. I've taken narrative coaching. So I know that we are perceptual beings and we make up stories and we believe every thought we think. So that's a part of clarity. There's a whole thing. There's a, a list mm -hmm. of a dozen things I could talk about in clarity, but for the sake of more clarity here, I'll share a process that I talk about in the book. And it's what I call leadership clarity. So leadership clarity is the ability to identify the situation. Now that's going to include facts, right? Not just mm -hmm. what you think about someone to really have a situation analysis. So the, the real linear people are going to love this because it's going to help you get, when you start thinking like this, it becomes a habit. And when it becomes a habit, you can just kind of microchip away at this and it, it becomes pretty easy. So what's the situation? What are the facts mm -hmm. around like the situation? What is the outcome that we're trying to get to, whether that's today Next quarter, this year, you can take it from any concept, whatever that gap is, what's, what are we trying to get to, right? Even coaching someone, what's the, mm -hmm. situation, what's the outcome I want? What are the obstacles real or perceived? So the visual that I use in my workshops and in my keynote speaking is there's a boat, there's an island, and there's a shark. The boat is the situation. Who's in the boat? What's the nature of the boat? What's it like? Is it broken? Is there a leak? Are, are we, you know, is it a yacht? What, what boat are we in? What island are we trying to get to? So that's what I want. There's a reason we want to get there, but my reason is always the same. We always want peace and prosperity. You can name it whatever you want, but your belief is that when you get to that island, you're going to have peace and prosperity. So it's it's expansion and it's also the inner game. So it's both. So we're always trying to get to peace and prosperity, but then there's a shark. And when we have a shark, it's an obstacle, either real or perceived. And when people focus on the shark, they cannot get to the island. So if everything we talk about is my shark, my shark, but you don't understand my shark, 
translated, my boss, he's toxic, but you don't understand. You don't understand our culture. You have not yet claimed what you want. And until you get that clarity about the island, the shark is just there. You may decide to go to a different island once you get clarity, but as long as you're talking about the shark, you're not talking about outcomes. So the shark is also the process, the how-to. So often we get stuck on the rock called how, and we say, okay, we're going to have the workshop and two days full of coaching, and then we're going to do this initiative. We're going to have a chief of happiness officer. Well, that's process. What's the outcome Mm -hmm. that you want? Are those things necessary? Because so often we're talking about outcome, we're talking about process instead of outcome. You have to know the outcome first, then process drives that, right? Then process can be figured out. But we often jump in the middle of the shark or the process, and we don't even know the situation. We, I mean, you've seen this in coaching. When I first mm-hmm. started, Arlene, you need to go after this kind of client, but they didn't get to know me. They didn't get to right. know my gaps, my holes, my fears. So while it sounds great, you didn't know the boat. You did not understand. Right. You know, Marlene, you're in a, a raft with one rowboat and no map. Here's what you need to do first. Get yourself <laughs> right. Right. So that's the language. I call that the language of the island. I mm-hmm. use that to, to help people get clear because it's storytelling and it, yes. it, it takes your mind off of the problem and more into a it's like a dream state. You just start kind of talking. Well, we've got leaks in our boat. Well, what are they? Well, we can't retain anybody. So in other words, we're trying to get new skippers and new people to jump on board, but the holes need to be plugged first, right? So we need to focus on retention first. So it's that kind of language that helps you to get there in, in your mm-hmm. own clarity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good. That is. So I want, I want to jump back to the facts. And I just want to repeat for everybody because I'm... I want to be so helpful. The facts, so the feelings don't affect the facts, but d- new facts can change the feelings. Was now that this right? Is, no, this is the same. Because we all like, but I feel it. And I talk that way too. I feel it. It's yeah. But we use that language very carelessly. And I do too. Mm-hmm. But this is the saying that so many of my clients live by. Knowing your feelings, like, oh, For example, I feel that they're not engaged. I feel Mm -hmm. that they don't care about the team. I feel that it's not going to work out. Okay, that's fine. But knowing your feelings will not change the facts. Okay, knowing Knowing the the facts, though, can change your feelings. So in other words, I feel that they're mad at me. They didn't speak to me. They, They were batting their eyes and their eyes were watering. They're really upset. I feel that. Oh, you know what? They just came back from the eye doctor. Their eyes were dilated. They didn't see anything. <laughs> so now I feel different about it because I interpret it differently. So to cut to the quick is when you change your interpretation, in other words, your narrative, you also change your reality. Because if mm-hmm. you interpret like someone sitting at a stoplight and you're thinking, how much greener can it get? And you're laying on the horn and you're furious, you're running late or the third car behind and you sit through the red light, then the next thing you see is an ambulance and they're coming to that car and you realize that person's had a heart attack. All of a sudden, your feelings about it didn't matter. The fact is they're having a medical emergency and now everything else gets organized around that interpretation. Exactly, exactly. That is language I use a lot, your interpretation. And you always want to choose a helpful interpretation if you can. Absolutely. Well, Marlene, this has been Amazing. So interesting. So high energy. I think um, all of you listening, I know you have gotten some ideas, some inspiration, knowing that the conflict is really, you know, that's what you think is the problem, but it's it's really a ma- mismanagement. You, maybe you don't have enough clarity. Um, maybe you don't have enough facts. 
Maybe you have some inner conflict that's uh, spilling out and uh, leading to this outer conflict. So there's a whole lot here. And maybe you need to get Marlene's book from, I think it's from Conflict to Courage. You can, yeah, from Conflict to Courage. I was right. Marlene Chisholm, C-H-I-S-M. You can see that on the cover and on the notes. And so Marlene, tell us, you know, any last words you want to say and how people can get a hold of you if they would like to maybe schedule a workshop, but that's not a, a circus act. <laughs> it might be. If you got the budget, I got the tap shoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, there you I'm go. Joking. But um, yeah, I, I would end with saying that disagreement doesn't damage relationships. Disrespect does. So if you can just remember that I, I can still disagree, but if I maintain my respect for another person's even ability to think wrong, or or decision to think wrong or to not have the facts. As long as I stay in respect about that, Mm -hmm. it doesn't damage the relationship. What's happening now because of social media and so on, we're losing our capacity. And so we're just getting triggered at the slightest provocation. So just remember that that disagreement does not ruin relationships, disrespect does. So it's our job as leaders to maintain respect, even if someone else Uh, does. That is awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. Oh yeah, but how do they find you? My website is marlenechism.com, M-A-R-L-E-N-E-C-H-I-S-M.com. I am on LinkedIn. So I'd love it if you follow me there. I do lives once a month, taken off for June and July. But if you follow me on LinkedIn or say you met me on this show, I'm glad to connect. Uh, and I really only connect with people that say they met me on a show or they liked my LinkedIn learning. Because as you all know, if you connect with someone, the next thing is an automated message about how you're not there yet. You need their leadership help, their productivity help. And let's have a 45 minute conversation. and I'll give you a free assessment. And even if you <laughs> say, I'm not interested, I understand. Let me tell you why you do need it anyway. I <laughs> right. <tell> you. <laughs> so I've just decided I just okay. don't connect unless they say they've met me somewhere. <laughs> that is smart. Yes. I guess my... I had an inner conflict and I accepted it recently. Somebody who was like having virtual assistants because I thought, well, maybe one day I have assistants that are virtual, but they're people that I know and they're helping me. But I thought, well, maybe one day I'll need them. And sure enough, I accepted. And then within a second, I I had that message. So anyway, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks everybody for listening. I hope you've taken great notes. I want you all to be more courageous. So look for that clarity to help to fuel your own courage. And I will see you on the next episode. So long.